Well, hello there, and welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore current events through the lens of the Christian worldview. But as all, as all lenses have a prismatic effect, we will each be sitting in a different avenue or different beam of light streaming from that Christian worldview lens. We're all sitting in chairs and we'll be answering the question today, is welfare moral? If so, in what context? Each of us from a different chair. To my right, I have Jennifer. Hello. Hi, Jennifer. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. And she'll be sitting in the chair of? Theology. Excellent. Glad to have you there. Go, go, go. And sitting to (laughs) his right, we have Mr. Charlie. Hey, good afternoon. I was going to say good morning and then good evening, and we're still in the late afternoon. I've been having one of those days too myself. I think we're in evening. Are we five, so. five something? I always so, thought it so, was so afternoon. So put that in the comments below. Is 5.30 <laughs> evening or The real morning? topic of tonight's podcast. Okay. So, oh, that's great. And Mr. Charlie will be sitting in the chair of? You know what? Let's do uh, politics and economics. Oh, I'm going to sit in the chair of economics. I'm oh, gonna, you are? I, okay. Yeah. Stolen. Stolen. <laughs> Stolen. Stolen. So politics. Politics are great. Politics. Yeah. All right. And we've got one or two more people coming in shortly. But uh, for now, I'll be sitting in the chair of economics uh, you, you and I can bounce back and forth there. Sure. But uh, also the chair of philosophy and culture will be raising over those as possible between all three of us. So um, here's a question to y'all. And, and, and yeah, if, if, if you're in a, in a comment section, go ahead and put that down. Do you think welfare is moral? And tell us why you think it is. Uh, but here's, here's some, some thoughts to consider. What was the definition of welfare in 1828, Mr. Charlie? Okay, so Webster's 1828, and by the way, the reason we like to use that dictionary, it was the original uh, dictionary that was put together uh, by Webster, and those definitions were really biblically based. That's why we're using this. So the definition of welfare in Webster's uh, 1828 version was exemption from any unusual evil or calamity, the enjoyment of peace and prosperity, or the ordinary blessings of society and civil government applied to states. So if you, if you visit the web today and you look at Merriam-Webster's uh, dictionary in 2021, what will you find the yeah, definition that's, as? That's got quite a different flavor there. Uh, aid in the form of money or necessities for those in need or an agency or program through which such aid is distributed. So what we've done is we've changed the definition from the ordinary form of blessings from society and civil government to a government program. Yeah. Society, including and focused on Webster's worldview and the worldview of the day being the church. Church. I was going to say strongly the church. So just, I, I don't want to camp here, but real quick, going around the room, chair of theology, when we take a job that, and this is the theme of the day, Jennifer, when we take a job that belongs to the church and we give it to government what inevitably happens and what does the lord say about that well first of all in the hands of man it becomes corrupt Uh, it becomes something that is totally not what god's it it looks nothing like what god's plan is and i think as a as a secondary um problem from that is that the church itself and christians themselves lose sight of what god's plan looks like I don't I don't think that a lot of Christians today have considered like what what would biblical 
welfare look like? How would it look different from the welfare that we've come to understand as welfare today? And 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 there's the and there's the thrust of it. You, You just nailed it. There's a problem. We have the problem of the poor. Jesus said the poor will always be with you. Yeshua HaMashiach told us this. And we were supposed to look after these people. Yeah. However, there's a way to do it. And when, when, when Christians say we don't believe in the welfare state, you better be ready with a response. And we're yeah. going to try to tackle that today. Moving over to the chair of politics. Nice segue in for you. What is the government's role in this welfare well, I would advocate there's no role for them um, because really it goes back and, and these go to some verses that that we were uh, looking at earlier, but the role of helping a family is, is on the family and government has taken this thing over and I would I would argue that the reason they've taken it over is twofold and we've seen this in a number of of ways that it's been executed, but it's looking for power through the votes. Amen. And 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 let's and let's pause there because we're gonna we're gonna keep going. Yep. And that's what we're doing. And it's even worse. We're actually stealing the money while pretending to give it to those, yes. the, the, those in most need. Moving on around the room to Miss Nikki. She just walked in. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing all right. Glad to have you in the chair of culture. Oh, right. So we're talking about the cultural shift between Webster's 1828 definition of welfare being an exemption from unusual evil or from the ordinary blessings of society and in context of Webster's worldview and the United States' worldview at the time, that was the church and other social fabrics holding it together. We went from that to it's a government program. So when culturally when you take something that is god's and god mandated ordained and you say that it is better to give it to the government what does that do to the human mind entitlement culturally i'm entitled there's a difference and that's what we have today in this generation this is why it would be very very hard um to go back to an old mindset it's not an old mindset it's a healthy mindset if i work for what i have because today's generation believe i'm entitled to yes. what i want i'm entitled to entitlements that's literally uh, what we call it and that's, that's the way to word it it's a human right yes it's a human it's a human right <laughs> that's right that's what and, the democrats tell you yeah and they it becomes a an excuse for everything. It's Absolutely. my right. It's my right. It's and, my right. And so excellent. And that and that's the question. Do you have the right to someone else's goods? And coming right over to the chair of economics, give myself a little segue. Um, the short answer is is biblically, you don't. If you don't work, you don't eat. And we've tried this social experiment of social safety nets, and the larger they are, the quicker they fall. We tried this in uh, the 1600s, early 1600s with Jamestown. That's where we get Thanksgiving. Why was it such a wonderful thing? Because the Indians had to come in and bail out <laughs> the people in Jamestown. That's that's what we that, that's what we're looking at when, when we look at Thanksgiving. And so it's something to, to to look at. Economics is best looked at through a biblical lens because it's the only lens that is sustainable. And before we get too far in the weeds, I I, I do want to move into a quick note of what 
money is in today's society. Because what we're about to say, uh, we're about to explain how corrupt the government has gotten with its usage of money. So when, when someone tells you that welfare is, it's only humane, it's only kind to provide welfare, let's talk about money and let's talk about how we're providing welfare. So let's go back to uh, what should have been high school economics, but in a lot of cases was not. That's laughable. Agreed. Agreed. The fibrous paper with watermarks that we hold and we call money that's just an IOU. I owe you X amount. I owe you one ounce of gold. It really for that has twenty dollar bill. You know, people don't realize that we we taught that in homeschooling, mm -hmm. and my kids are like, "This is this is not this really doesn't it's have any debt, value." It's a debt instrument, and so right. it, and and to the point, the federal the federal bank, a group of wealthy elites, are the ones who are responsible for that IOU. It is something that we can cash in and say, "I want twenty I want one ounce of gold for this $20 bill. At least that's what it's supposed to be. In, in 1849, a $20 gold piece was worth about $20. As of this podcast, last time I looked, it was $1139. By the way, $1,139 as opposed to $20. Uh, now, again, that's artificially suppressed. And it has been since the 1933 uh, FDR policy. of you know the, He had the whole gold policy and it caused hoarding. And there was this thing about uh, prohibition of gold. Won't go into that today. That that would be an excellent topic for another day, and would love to go through it. But it was artificially twenty dollars then as well. Twenty dollar gold piece, twenty dollar bill. Artificially, it was held to that. It was worth a lot more. But the, the the skyrocketing cost that we see is due to detaching the dollar from the gold standard in the nineteen seventies. We'll talk about the gold standard, not to get too wonkish, but really what they're saying is, I owe you this much, says the Federal Reserve. I owe you. An ounce of gold. No, I own you uh, less than an ounce of gold. Less and less and less. And the more they print, the more that devalues it. What this means is if grandpa has a savings account locked away in 1933 with $10,000 in it, today that $10,000 is roughly worth $10,000. But if you do the math, when it was stored in the bank in 1933, he could have bought a home roughly equivalent to today's $600,000 home or an item like a Ford GT supercar at over $500,000 uh, or a yacht. Where did his wealth go? To the wealthy elites, the 1% of the 1%. Robert Kiyosaki of Rich Dad, Poor Dad fame wrote an article in 2016. Uh, he, he was commenting on a Pew Research study that saw the middle class shrink from 1971 to 2015 by 11% with a lower class, class growing by 4% and the highest class growing by 5%, upper middle by 2 So all, all of that to say, there's a nice little chart on this. You see it going down. In show prep, Jennifer carded me and goes, look at the 2020 data. And she's right. Guess who changed offices at that time and who was trying to get us back on the gold standard? I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying Trump tried to get the economy back on track and we saw an economic boom like no other because you, you know what he did he's not some incredible genius he just said hands off people's money Ed. he and, and I'll, I'll say this in him in if i'm not mistaken him and kiyosaki are friends i think they used to be okay i, I, th I think kiyosaki is is aligned himself with the left partially well i'll say this don't quote me. No, no. In 
Kiyosaki, to me, there's there's a very few people that truly understand the macro dynamics like this. And Kiyosaki is one of them. He's not the only one. But when you look at what Nixon did back in 70, what he allowed, there's plenty of things that he did wrong. This this is probably one of the biggest. Well, and it was under pressure from the wealthy elites. Yeah. yeah. And so it, 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 and and so this is an interesting interesting question we we've, we've seen the 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 lower class grow under these policies we see them grow or we see them we see the lower class shrink under godly policies or at least common sense get your picking hand grab and picking Biblical hands off principles my money. are common sense common Bi sense principles god didn't make stupid rules that's right that's right but printing money for welfare programs is effectively how how we spend money People don't realize the government has been out of money for decades mm -hmm. and they've been spending the money. So if it, if it helps the lower class, shouldn't we do it is the argument. Mm. Well, I mean, it, it, and, and here's the question. Does it actually help the lower class? I, that was my question no. I was going to ask. So if, if and, and the next story will be very enlightening on this, but just moving around the room. Even if you are just stabbing the rich in the back, let's say for a moment that it is eat the rich and that the poor and middle class and the upper middle class even, those people who make 400000 or even $1.2 million a year, let's say those people aren't affected. Biblically, theologically, I'm just going to throw this around the room, Jennifer, what does God say about a workman and his wages? It says that he is to be paid what he is owed. If he puts in the work then he gets the reward. That's that's what it is. And it, it, it shouldn't matter if he already has X amount of dollars. If he still does the job, he gets paid. He gets his compensation. And I think, biblically, the reason, you know, again, like you said, we're just eating the rich right now. We're not worried about how this is actually affecting the poor and middle class, but just eating the rich in and of itself is totally opposite to biblical principles because that's covetousness. That's you saying he has what I don't have and I don't like it. Mm -hmm. So now amen, when you want to talk, I know that may be getting off topic, but if you want to talk about the rich taking advantage and that's why we have things like time and a half and um, reasonable wages sure. is because there have been times sure, when course. there were people that were working you half to death and not paying you anything and now we have laws that prevent that, and but, that's, those are good things. But yes. here's the thing: those laws. I'm I'm actually not an advocate for for those laws. I'm an advocate for the open and free market. The thing that kept those people in power was a corporatism. People don't understand how corporatist the 1800s American Industrial Revolution was. It was, in, and corporatism is another word for socialism. It's just the people who own the businesses are also in bed with the politicians. And the unions, what they effectively did was they said, hey, look, 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 we're going to say no as a group. And, and, that, that, and that in itself is a positive thing. But the unions quickly became their own corporatist structure. They quickly, you live long enough to be the hero. <laughs> you keep living long enough, you become the villain. That's what happened to the, to mm -hmm. the unions. Moving over to the chair of politics with this question, though, and, and I'm going to accent it a little bit differently. Um, you see this, this political movement that is focusing on, quote-unquote, taxing the rich. 
what right does the government have to pick winners and losers? And what inevitably happens when the government picks winners and losers? <laughs> nice. We just had a mic mic malfunction. <laughs> Sorry about that for those who are wearing uh, headphones. <laughs> but uh, uh, when the government picks winners and losers and is allowed to to tax quote unquote the rich does do people slide by mm. most definitely and the reason that they slide by is they're the ones making the rules and they know what the rules are therefore they know how to take advantage of those rules you don't and it wouldn't be so bad except they don't explain all those rules and you have to have a mountain of accountants and lawyers yes. to get through it. And, and let's and give a, a, a clear example of that current today. That is October the 6th. Is that where we're at? Yeah. October the 6th. So there is a bill in Congress right now for the $3.5 trillion. Okay. I don't know if anybody knows. There are 2,600 plus pages in that bill. Good luck reading through it all. That's the whole point. That is exactly the point. Now, and when you open your so own many... business, and when you open your own business, you know this. I know this. We mm -hmm. both have. I, I have an LLC. I, I don't know if is yours an S corp or C corp. I'm an S corp. You're an S corp. My gosh, I hate tax law. It is so profoundly yes. stupid. Don't get me wrong. I, so, argument for another time. Income tax on an individual, unconstitutional, immoral. Income tax on a business because you have protections. That makes sense. A corporation is an entity and structure that doesn't have the right to earn a, a wage. But we should get into that another time. But once you start to do corporate tax, you look at it and you go, holy cow, how do I even navigate this without at least three accountants? Now, you were ready to jump on that. Yeah, well, I just wanted to remind you that since the plan um, will be paid for, that it actually costs zero dollars. <laughs> so... <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Yeah, I don't know who's exactly. doing that math, but and the I didn't want to talk about the platinum coin, but that's just the most asinine thing I've ever heard. They're, they're, they're <laughs> going to put it asinine that for the first time today, and that's going to break. It's going to break everything permanently. It, it, so I don't want to jump too far, but basically they're they're going to mint a uh, one trillion dollar coin out of platinum and say, even though platinum is not anywhere worth that, near worth that, and they're going to say we're going to borrow against this. I don't think they'll do it. I, I, I pray I not. Know. I pray not. Moving on to the chair culture. When you have a culture that demonizes the wealthy, what does that do to our young men? And I'm going to talk about young men for a moment. Mm. But what does that do to our young men who we used to say, go out there, make your fortune. And, and when you do, you support your family. You support your community. I'm going to say something that's going to sound a little harsh, and, and I, I don't mean it to, but it is a loss of manhood. And what I mean by that is that a man used to consider himself worthy to provide for his family, to work hard. Um, a man used to consider it um, a reward to try to attain something. Uh, it doesn't matter if it was a farmer or, you know, a banker or whatever. They had personal goals to feel successful. And it was moving forward. And they weren't demonized by trying to attain those goals in society. You weren't evil for doing so. Well, and, the, you know, my mom used to say something. 
is that when a person works hard all day long, you go to bed at night and you think, man, I did not waste this day. I did something today. With the entitlement um, mindset, it just changes it, it changes roles. It, it changes. cheapens the yes. value of human life. Yes. Because it degrades. And, and and more specifically, it does so to men, but it does it to women. And I want to just bring that point up in just a second, how, how I mean. But men, it degrades them. It says, I don't need you as the family to the man. I have the government. And now the woman, and this is going to sound ugly, has prostituted herself to the government relying on the government emotionally and financially and if the man gets in the way of that man he better do a lot better than i was doing with on welfare did you ever read after ronald reagan when he said he voted for a welfare program and then he heard that a woman had divorced her husband because she could make more on welfare he was shocked he was horrified that that was what the outcome was. He, he never expected that. That was, that was not his expectation. And you're incentivizing people to marry the state, which rolls right well into the economic chair. Let's talk about what actually occurs when you provide welfare with no strings attached. And I'm not talking about, about owning someone or something like that, so something so gross, but there need to be some sort of, okay, you get it for this much and that's it. And, and the church doesn't want to do that, but I'm spoiling the end here. When you start to pay people to not work, you now have a competition in votes from the government. They're competing for votes with the business owner, specifically the small business owner, to have fair wages paid out. Fairness also goes to the business owner. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think there are people out there who are malicious, who want to cheapen the laborer's work. The opposite is also true. Man is evil on both sides of the fence yeah. on this one. So, and, and that brings us really interestingly enough into the next article. I have an article from The Hill here. It's an opinion article saying, Democrats' newest scheme to hook the middle class on government cash. This is the $300 per child per month tax credit in advance. So let's explain what a tax credit is, okay? Tax credit is usually, you know, when you, you know, you, you, you get your, your, your tax return or, or whatever, you get money back or you get tax credit, you're, you're paid up front and they, and, they, and they now don't charge you that much on the back end. Well... A tax credit is nothing to the government when they can print the money and then tax you more with a bill they follow up the next month anyway. Who wins? Government just won. Government just won. And who just got who just got shivved? Did did did, did the rich get shivved? Nope. No. Or did the people did the working class mom who's making forty thousand dollars a year with four kids and no dad around, did she just get it right in the gut? So, and, and you look at how they're planning on, on, on doing this. The government doesn't have money, people. They don't have money. They print you, it. You want to know they what's really... It. And so they take, and they, and they take grandpa's $10,000 check and they devalue it from $600,000 in, in today's money or pre-COVID money because no one really knows what the inflation is right. after the, all the spending. And they steal it out of grandpa's account. 
$1 bill printed at a time. I printed it in sheets, but don't quote me. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, what's really ironic is that this is a number of years ago. The Republicans took a stand on this issue of raising the debt, uh, the debt ceiling. And they said, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to pay back our bills. They suffered for it big time at the polls. Even though we, there, there was a temporary shutdown, but certainly wasn't catastrophic by any stretch. Republicans' messaging, though, sucks. It, and couldn't agree more. And the thing is, is if we would learn how to talk about these issues and how they truly do affect you, I think things would change a little bit. And if you look at what the debt was then, I know it was only compared to what trillion. it is now. It's astronomically higher. It's over fifty trillion. Although some people would say it's closer to uh, three hundred or four hundred trillion, depending upon who you talk to. And what people don't understand is that there will be a breaking point. There'll, it, there'll it, be a day that comes due. There, all, corrections always will happen. And you don't. And what people don't understand is we're already hitting that. Guess what Social Security is doing right now? Uh, yeah. You, you, it's you getting know, ready to there go. Are, there are two I? people in this room who would have liked to have gotten Social Security, are very close to getting Social Security. If it lasts at all, it will very be... We never... Close. Come on. We man. never... We've, you know, we've always felt that by the time we got... There. It won't be there It's for a Ponzi us. scheme. It's a yes. Ponzi scheme started well, by, by, by the way, the same people who held slaves, uh, devalued your dollar, all that. They're still asking for you to do more of it. Uh, the, the Democrats in, in the Great Depression era, again, we, we need to do a podcast specifically on this, but FDR slowed the Great Depression, the recovery from that exponentially. The only thing that saved us, unfortunately, was World War II. Uh, and we would have gone further and further down. And this, this, this Ponzi scheme that we call Social Security is about to collapse. And it's going to get worse. That's the least of our worries. It's about to get really, really bad. So moving on around the room, tax credits for a child... What does the Bible say about changing measures? What does God say about differing weights in the in the marketplace? For those who don't know, in the marketplace, what you would have diverse weights in in Proverbs. There are differing weights. Some were hollow and some were heavy, and they would shift and change how much gold weighed, or how much silver weighed, or grain weighed. Based on hollowing out the weights, mm -hmm. diverse weights. Jennifer, what do you think? Well, they're they're cheating people. Then, I mean that I mean that that's what they did then, and that's what the government is doing now. They're they're hollowing out the money. If you want to follow that that um, line of argumentation, it's. And so, what do you say to someone who is pushing the idea of welfare, and they don't, they do understand perhaps that we're just printing money. From a theological standpoint, well, I think that they that they might think that they're being compassionate and loving and caring for people, but in reality, there's a difference between loving someone and enabling someone. Oh, so yes. so let's. I mean, you know, right, I, I'm going to say nobody because I'm giving humanity the benefit of the doubt, but I I recognize that some people may not recognize this. Nobody would say that. If I met someone on the street 
and I know this person and they're addicted to heroin and I give him a thousand dollars, nobody would say that I helped him because yeah. everybody knows that he's just going to go and destroy his life further. That's a great illustration. That's, that's all that welfare is doing. Oh man, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're and, jumping ahead thematically yeah, here, I mean, but I, I love I, it. Go I, run, yeah, run, I don't, don't want to jump ahead and like go over your other article, but I, I, I mean, I do want to just bring this up because I, it's really important. You know, we've talked about how our government welfare is not biblical, but what is biblical welfare? Okay, I mean, like seriously, like what, when when you as a Christian think of what biblical welfare is, what do you think of? Biblical welfare? Yeah. So I think of the church, not that one, the game. Uh, I think of the church providing for widows and for orphans. Mm-hmm. And, and that's also, only when the family can't provide. But and, remember, it used to be your family was a very big thing. And they, and, and when you talk about the Bible and the mm-hmm. Old Testament, families stayed together. And, and let me hit on that real quick. So calling out all of our Christian listeners right now. Okay. If you, I didn't know, think of this verse right away when we started talking about biblical welfare. And I think that's a failing of the church to teach this. Because I'm, I'm going to read... 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 19. And it talks about widows. So, starting in verse 3. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone, she trusts God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead where she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she lodged strangers, if she's washed saints' feet, she's relieved the afflicted, she has diligently followed every good work. But refuse the younger widows. For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, and give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. And do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. Wow. So there's that, a lot of unpacking. That, that, there is. Is. Listen here, listen here. That is not what the church teaches is charity today. No, there's I almost I no church in America who would who would teach a lesson on that. And if they because did, people would be appalled. Christians would be appalled. That's mm. so mean. That's violating the eleventh commandment. Thou be shalt nice. be nice. <laughs> as Vody Bakum would say, and so and and very much so, because it's not charity, because it is enabling, and it's actually a form of self worship to give to someone who is who who you are enabling mm-hmm. is a form of self worship, and the church should teach this. And so we 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 blew through the show map here. So let's yeah, let's sorry. camp out. I'm here. sorry. Let's camp out here. What what does the Bible say about welfare? Well, you, we had a good definition right, right there, there. Mm-hmm. and you 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 look at how it's supposed to be measured out. Now, I, I think that that is specific. It's a very specific set talking about a win- widow's fund. 
it's not just welfare specifically, but this is a specific widow's fund, but it's a great model yes. to spread across. Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11 uh, talks about this, and here's an excerpt from that, and I quote, If there be among you a poor man of, uh, of one of thy brethren within any of the gates in thy land, which the Lord God give thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. That does not mean that you provide them with everything, but exactly what we're talking about. And, and, and you go, for, go a little bit further. I'm trying to remember. I think it is in that, in that passage. It says, do not pick up the gleanings. Right. That's, it, that's what Ruth was doing, is going through the field and picking up the gleanings for her and her mother-in-law because they were widows. Um, one of the things that people don't understand is they read those those verses that you and they totally don't get the whole concept of it. But the helping hand is a help up. It's not a continual feeding Correct. over and over again. And women who are widows indeed, there are still things that they could do to provide for their family, but they would need some help. And that's where the men of the church were there to make sure that they got the help that they needed when needed. Exactly. And you know, and, and, John Arthur, if I could, I want to I back up on that gleanings part because that, that is an excellent point, and it's pertaining to exactly what you're talking about here in terms of working. I do want to show, though, that this gleanings thing has a benefit for the business as well. So as a Christian business owner, do we tie 10% on our business? I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, and when, and I, when I can, it's not a mandate. Th- that's right. But, but, I, but think, I think it is a beautiful thing that a business focuses on absolutely. outreach. Now watch this. There's this one guy who just had a burden about this. He's like, I want to tithe. I want to tithe. God, how can I do that? He ran a sawmill. That sawdust was worth money. And God really spoke to him strongly and said, leave the sawdust. And he placed an ad or he talked to different people in town and said, listen, if you want to come and clean up the the sawdust, you can take all the money that you make from that. He did that. And it came to about one-tenth. Isn't that beautiful? It, it was, it was absolutely pay. beautiful. And he didn't pay anything. No. He, gave, he, he forwent the profits. And, and the thing is, who won in that scenario? Two people. Everyone, not one. Everyone won. And Every it, did. Yeah, the world, everyone The did. world is not a zero-sum game. People think economics is there's X amount, and I can only have this much of the pie. Uh, as... Dinesh D'Souza would like to say, you can always make more pies. You know, he'll always say, <laughs> you can always make more pies. To, some, to a certain extent. And, and, and I agree, but um, it's a logarithmic curve. But you can make more pies. The more momentum you have, the better it goes. And so some people will say, well, this, 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 seems, this seems like um, like it's not applicable to the, to the 20, 21st century. Before we get there, we have a couple more verses and I'm going to say that it is, but what does God's word say? So I want to, I want to ask Mr. Pomeroy, can you get Proverbs uh, 28, 27 yep. for us? And Mrs. Pomeroy, do you have a, do you have a phone handy? 
All right, if you can get uh, Axe uh, 20, 35, and Jennifer, if you can get James 2, 14 through 24, I've got that, just that one, one quote I have in the, in the show map. So, Mr. Palmer, are you ready? Yeah, you uh, wanted Proverbs 20, 25? Yes, uh, 28, 27. 27, sorry. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. So let's dwell on that for just a second. Is God saying that the money is his and maybe we should be conduits of that blessing when we have it? But it's my money, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> but you know what? And I want to go back to something. Nikki said something early on and that I'm going to slightly disagree with. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's what she, she said. She said, God's word is common sense, biblical. All right? It's, it's common you sense. You disagree? <laughs> I, no, watch this. Watch okay. this. What does common sense say about tithing? Just chew on that for a moment because, yeah. honestly, how many people, how many Christians have mm-hmm. a difficult time tithing? And especially the world. Absolutely. Would look at that as the just... world would absolutely think you're nuts. Yeah, I see And that. yet, and yet... I'm getting a head nod from Miss Nikki. Oh, as, well, soon as, as soon as he's done, yeah. I want you to jump. And yet, I agree when with we you. I think watch it put into practice, we see the blessing. And let me tell you something. It's not just Christians that will see this blessing. Worldly people will see it too. Yeah. It's not withheld. Because it's because it's the nature of the universe, but I want Miss Miss Nikki to common speak. sense versus fear and greed. I, I, common sense, biblical common sense, how to handle money is a little bit different than tithing. Tithing takes some some faith. But if I'm broke but, every month and I'm living paycheck to paycheck, I'm not. It's not greed. Where does the it's idea of, of karma? Where does the idea of karma come from? And all these others, I think it is common sense. I think some of these. If you look at other faiths besides Christianity, you will see that they they not all they don't completely miss. They hit some of the notes, and the, our Eastern friends and Eastern religions hit some of those notes. They understand that there's an order to the universe, and they understand that if you give, you will receive. There is something there. There's something there. It's because the way God works. I think. And the, I, I hadn't even thought about this, so this is just like spitballing what is just coming to my mind right now. I think I would describe it more as what Nikki is saying. What God says makes sense, but that sense might not be so common. Like, it's it's not that it's... Common what, sense yeah. is no longer common. Common sense is no longer common, kind of. Does that make sense? Do you, do you kind of get what I'm saying? Like, I, I get where Charlie's coming from, where people are not following what we see as common sense. Because, possibly because of fear and lack of faith, and just being mis- a, misguided what, by the world, I guess. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, see, I'm not sure if that came across right. I see more of a spiritual right. law. You know, in, in, I, I think, of the, I come to that verse, it rains on the just and the unjust. Mm-hmm. You know, and when, I, when, when John Arthur brings up that word karma, that, that's kind of what comes to my mind there is that it's just one of those principles that it, it works no matter who you are, but it's just not something that is, oh, yeah, that's what you should do. You want to get more? Go ahead and give. 
That, I guess that's it's not what I'm coming from. It's not something that the world wants to recognize. I don't know if we should go there to unpack that, but giving and you will receive does not necessarily mean you're going to receive more money. Monetary. No, 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 I, I agree. have always I agree. seen in my own personal life that giving, I have received a lot, but it's not necessarily money. It's and I don't want things. to imply that either. Agreed. Agreed. So next verse, we were looking at uh, James 2, 14 to Jennifer. Yes. So starting in uh, verse 14 of James chapter 2. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay, so that's the, that's the brunt of that passage. Pass that around. Political chair. Does this sound like a mandate to government? Or does this sound like a mandate to the individual and to the church? Oh, I think it's definitely to the individual and to the a, church. A lot of people will make this say, look, you see, the, we should take care of it. Therefore, the government, in logic and rhetoric, we call that a non sequitur. Yeah. It didn't follow. That, that line of reasoning, there's a jump somewhere in there. Well, and you have to recognize who, who is James speaking to here. He's speaking to the Jewish yeah, church. That's right. It was a small group of people. It wasn't. It wasn't a government. It wasn't uh, this big agency. I mean, these are the persecuted people in a nation yeah. that hated them. Yeah. You remember when Christ was on the cross? The first thing he did was make sure his mother was taken care of. Isn't that amazing? He is the old. He was the oldest son, and even though he was the savior, his priority at that time was to see that his mother was taken care of in accordance with biblical view Principles, of yeah. absolutely and so yeah. that's a nice rollover to the chair of culture culturally what does it do when we abdicate our personal responsibility to our family and we create this safety net for the government what does that do to to people and to families and people's regard of the elderly well i think it it's it shows um a disrespect that grows. If you know, if if Grandpa's in the nursing home because he's got state handouts and it's easier to put him there, um, Mom and Dad, you'll probably be there next. You know that you're setting an example for the children. If you're taking care of your parents who are elderly, and I come from a family that always has, my family is always taking care of uh, the older people and brought them into the home and and took care of them unless they needed medical attention and it could not be given at home so but for other people it's a detachment it's it's a breakdown of the family of the family unit and you lose intergenerational wisdom that is something that is so lacking we have done this ungodly unbiblical thing of separating our society as rousseau and dewey would have us do and we've separated everyone, and the old people go off, and we lose all that wisdom. We lose it all, and we tell, and we elevate children. It says in the last days, your children, the children will be kings, and the elderly will be despised, and fools will reign in your in your kingdom when you when you forsake God, when you forsake God. Don't we also lose? Um, we lose control of of 
the kind of end of life that they get. You've handed it over. You, you've yielded control of that over to others. To a government entity, which, as we've seen, always works in the interest of, of those who are at the highest. Yes. Not and I, and I want to go back to this because this, a few, several years ago when Obama was, was president and they ramrodded the, the Obamacare Act through, we must pass the bill to see what's in the bill. And the thing is, there was, there was talks about death panels and so on and so forth. And that's a strong term, but it certainly got attention. And the thing is, that is where we're going. We are putting government in the position of being able to say, no, grandpa's not getting care. Grandpa's not getting medicine. Grandpa's not getting this or that. The Germans called it a useless eater in the 1930s and 40s. And that's we're, where we're, we're headed. Be, we're getting there. Because we're getting not, there. Oh, I mean, be, like how, because you've devalued human life. How many times have we had a story from the UK where people are begging to be able to treat their child and the government won't let them? Let's go. You're right. And let's go further. How many stories have we heard of the patient after changing their yes. mind or yes. with their child in the room saying, kill them, kill them, and they euthanized mm -hmm. the adult? Those are real stories. I need to have that. We should There's really have podcast. those. We should really yeah, well, have I, those before I didn't we even, I didn't even think of, about but it until now, but. We've given them control of our children. I mean, they're at, so common. You can literally just Google. Google it. Yes. And, and you'll you will find, find news stories. Examples after not, example after example. Not, no gay frogs, actual news stories that are that are full. Alex mm -hmm. Jones reference there for you nerds. Uh, <laughs> but, or those who are not nerds. Um, but we've given them the control of our children from the age of pre-K. And now they're getting control over how we end our lives. And welfare inevitably will lead to that instead of it being church-based welfare, godly-based welfare. And for those of you who think that it's not uh, doable, well, what did God say in Acts 20, 35? Miss Nikki. Give me just a minute. 2035? Yes, ma'am. I have showed you all things how that so laboring ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we've looked at this and we've gone back and forth. What does this look like in practice? What of the poor? How do we take care of them? Is there an organization with the structure, the capacity, yea, the mandate to do this? Well, can we define, think about this biblically, define what was poor? Okay, define poor. Oh, and so, and so that is where we come, those who cannot eat, those who cannot drink potable water, those who are in serious trouble. If you had a, if you could, you were not an invalid, you could go out and work as the man, you were expected to go out and work. And by the way, this is going to sound bad, but women went out and worked or they got married and they relied on the man to go and make the money. Why should that sound for, bad? That's such be, be, a breakdown because, of our culture. Be, be, because it I'm is not, a breakdown. I'm, yeah, I'm, people, I'm not saying it's your fault. Say, <laughs> people will immediately say that me. you're sexist. People will immediately will say that, that, that you're sexist for, for gender roles. But, but it used to be that the man, as best as possible, went out, made the money, made the, hunted the food, whatever it was, bring it home, and the wife made the home. 
and the wife raised the kids and not the well, state. That, that but, was in the in but the most of the time what they first Timothy passage. Yeah, read. what what you're saying though is the man made the paycheck. Many times women were home having a garden and raising Amen. food Amen. and making clothes for the kids. So there wasn't a paycheck attached to it. But her but it was still role Proverbs was providing woman for, yes. provides for mm-hmm. the family. By the way, you want to look at the first uh, first wave feminist uh, uh, old <laughs> old world Old Testament declaration. Look at Proverbs thirty one. You, you look at a woman, woman. who oh, girds herself mm-hmm. with strength, who's mm-hmm. respected by the men of the gates. Mm-hmm. She is known for being a saleswoman. She owns yes. a vineyard she has a prosperous business mm-hmm. her husband is able to go and work and travel and do what he has to do. he comes home his home's in order because he's got a strong woman she, she's an independent not independent mm-hmm. from her husband but she is a she self-sufficient mm-hmm. woman who is a businesswoman yet her home is taken care of and her husband is very proud of her her children mm-hmm. are taught. and her husband trusts her Oh, yes, that's huge, right there. And, and, and she trusts her husband. And so, for those Usually. of you who say that that it's biblical to have the woman barefoot, pregnant in the kitchen, and, and uh, no, that was a man-made thing. Yep. Women are have always in 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 the Jewish tradition had that respect until it was taken by man-made religion, the man-made and, Judaism. And again, I mean, this is. This goes back to kind of what I was saying at the very beginning, or what I, I hope I got across, is that what biblical welfare and what so many other biblical structures look like, we've totally lost today. The structure of how the church should be run looks nothing like what we have mo- have in our modern churches. Our biblical welfare, what, what we think of when we don't have biblical welfare, but what most Christians think of when they think of what would it look like if the church ran welfare— it looks nothing like what is actually described in the Bible. Right. And actually. I think that a lot of people, if if tomorrow, uh, you know, a miracle happened and we walked out the door and everything was run the way the Bible describes it as, there's a lot of people who would say, well, this is immoral. This is this is not right. You know, you're, you're expecting too much from people. You're not giving them enough. A lot of Christians would say that. So it's... Part of it's a culture issue. But we've overcome this before, and as 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 we're we're rolling in here, let's talk about a French philosopher in the 1800s who toured the United States. He became very very famous. How would American welfare look, and what would it look like to the outsider? We actually have that in in America in the early 1800s. Alexis de Tocqueville, a French philosopher, traveled the United States. And he noted that government programs were they were not compatible with and were virtually non-existent in any free society, let alone America's. And he concluded, I quote, thus they have to be created artificially. And this is what, what he would call associations can achieve, unquote. Tocqueville, 1840, and uh, this was his, his treatise, and his, actually you can find it on page 598. Associations would be like the church. And what this looked like was, and he described it, he goes on to describe soup kitchens, housing. These are the things, they're not basic human rights. You have the right to have access to them, but the goodness of the church is supposed to provide these. The goodness of the church is supposed to provide these. If we were more focused on reaching out to the people in the lost uh, 1040 window, or we are more focused on reaching the lost 
on the street corner instead of our next church building project. We might actually have the radical transformation of our culture that we're looking, you know, that we want, that we yearn for because we watch our society collapsing. So they need people need to see it in action. And we and need to start it. That, but you know, yeah, we, but what well, I'm saying is that what you've just brought up is exactly the issue. We are not putting Jesus on display. We're putting ourselves in our beautiful, yes. high-strung cathedrals, which have always been idols to man's own arrogance. So that's always keep in mind, though. If you don't work, you don't eat. So what we're talking about is getting somebody on their two feet. You have six months. Here's some job ads. Here's some job placements. In the meantime, yes. here's a ditch that needs to be dug. Here's some things over here. Yes. We're paying you $10 an hour, and that's generous. Yep. Yeah, that's, but you will, will understand there are a lot of people who will abuse it. And so what happens is the church gets tired. And guess what the church can do? They can cut them loose. And that's the thing. That's the thing that no one's willing to, 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 to say. I know this is going to sound ugly to some people's ears, but if you don't work, you don't eat. I didn't say it. God did. Yeah, that's Blame right. Him. That's, Blame that's God. what I was talking about earlier. That's what I was trying to get across is like that looks to people immoral it, when that is exactly what God, who is the source of morality, tells us to do. And unless you think I'm speaking from no experience, I have worked homeless ministry. I have worked years in homeless ministry before I, 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 I've watched. There's, there's two types of homeless, and my uncle who's involved in the tiny house movement and, and a bunch of people that I know who've spent tens of thousands of dollars trying to provide homes or shelter or lodging or food, there are two types of homeless. There's the single mom or dad who has kids, and they're, oh my gosh, I lost everything. Everything burned down the fire. I lost my job, this, that, the other. Two months later, they go to a program. They find the job placement. That person is back on the track living their life because they have something to live for. They're going to do it. And then that's, that's number one. Type two, they've been there for 10 years. They will be there for another 40. And they will, they will do it until they die. They will... You see panhandlers during COVID where we have the largest surplus of jobs. I, 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 you know, I, I hand out kits to, to those people. It's got a Bible, a little Gideon Bible, water bottle, uh, some tissue paper, hand sanitizer, and a track, and maybe, and maybe a granola bar, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that's what I give those people. And I, I, almost wanna, I almost don't even want to give them that anymore. And I know this sounds very terrible. But at the end of the day, you're, you're sitting there going, you have two legs. You have two hands. You're living in the greatest job surplus. Job surplus means you can go get a job. People but are begging. Doesn't this go well, back just... to what we were talking about earlier? $50 just to interview at McDonald's. Government, government has bought the vote. They mm -hmm. bought the vote. And you made a great segue earlier on the topic, and that is it used to be for the lower class. Where have we moved it? Moved it to the middle. And in the interest of creating one large lower class. And that's what it's going to be because those who are responsible for those IOUs, we are diminishing the value of those IOUs. When the government prints money, whether you make $10,000 a year or $10 million a year, 
It's just, they're stealing that out of your pocket. You, can, you guys can't see it on the podcast, but I'm pulling money out of my pocket, <laughs> pretending, pretending to pull money out of my pocket. They're, they're walking up behind you and pickpocketing you. And it does not help you because they are going to tax you after they give you that tax credit, which they didn't give you a tax credit. They printed money, devaluing the money that's in your pocket to give you this funny money. And I know that's overused, but what they're doing is, is they're stealing from you while pretending to give to you. It's monopoly money. And they've, and they've slowly diminished, and they've diminished the value of human life while doing it. I was going to say that really the greatest immorality is to trap somebody in a welfare for generation oh, wow. after generation. Generational poverty. You have yeah. robbed them of what they could actually achieve if Amen. they didn't have this crutch to fall back And the on. lie, the lie that you can't do it. You can't make it on your own. And again, I say it all the time. What did Lyndon Baines Johnson, president, after losing, and the, the Democrats couldn't stand that they lost the, the fight to keep Jim Crow in. Democrats wanted to keep Jim Crow in. So the next year, what did he do? The greater cities policy. He says, I will have those N-words voting for us for the next 100 years mm -hmm. in instituting the welfare state he's going to take away the church he's going to institute 501c3s and he's going to make it so that the church has to shut up if they want the extra crumbs that come from tax-exempt donations and guess what it's worked it worked it's worked well so is welfare moral let's go around the room and if so in what context going to the chair of theology well in a biblical context duh <laughs> Amen. So we've but, talked about but this. But yeah. So um and I just want to just to wrap up the day. Yeah. Man, I have more thoughts that I want to anyway. Just, we could go another hour on this. I know. Jennifer, I'm, I'm announcing Jennifer starting a new column over at yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me let me do this. We're not going to be able to talk about it and that makes me kind of sad, but I, I do want you guys to think about it cuz I don't have an actual answer for this. It's just something that I was thinking about. So I'll leave you with a question today. So we made the differentiation between, you know, the single parent who is struggling and in two months, man, they're going to be back on their feet because they got something going for them. And this person who wants to be dependent for 60 years. And I think a lot of Christians would agree that those two things should be treated differently. Let's look at that first situation, though. If that single mom is in that situation because she made a mistake and had premarital sex, should she be treated differently than the person who is a single mom because their husband died? That's a little bit more of a difficult conversation to have. And oh. I think that's something that the church doesn't, the church people don't want to have that conversation. Right. They don't. So let, let me leave you with you to chew on it because I don't, I don't know exactly where I line up on that decision. I think they do need to be treated differently, but I don't know how, and that's too much to get into now, but I just, I want to leave you with that to chew on maybe. Think so about that. There, there is a biblical rubric for that. We are out of time, but there's a biblical rubric for that. And the point of the matter is it's always restoration. Is she focused on coming back to the ways of God? If yes, you can treat her similarly to a widow. If no, you can still aid them, but there's a certain amount that you can't do. You don't leave her kids hungry, that, but that's about it. Yeah. Moving there's, over, there's a certain line the that crosses where Absolutely. it's too much now. Oh man, that anyway, you, you've opened the, up a can of worms that we need to take to another I podcast. Know, we will I take really it to tried not to, but I had Part to. Two. Moving over to the, her right, the chair of politics. Wrapping up the day, when you give something like welfare that is God's and God ordained to the church and give it to the government, what inevitably happens? Well, you you've stolen it, and and it's going to be a curse on you. 
And we can see that in our government today, it absolutely has been a curse. It's been a curse on the debt, the national debt. That's a curse on our, our children and our grandchildren. This is not something that the government should be involved in. It should be left alone and allowed to be done by, by the local New Testament church. And I advocate too. And they should do it, by the way, which they haven't. And, that, and, and that's, that's the exactly, whole thing. that's right. That's why it's actually in the government's hands, because we allowed the government to take it. That's the problem. And moving well, on to the chair of culture. I think that the culture needs to return to the attitude that family is first. And whatever we have to do to take care of family, we do it. And reestablish those, um, those boundaries there. Within the family, we take care of our family. If we can't, then we can go to the church for temporary go. help. And that is exactly what God had us set aside. You have an economy. I love the chair of economics. Uh, you have an economy of time. You only have so many days in your bank of time to spend on this earth. Make yes. sure that you're spending them well. You only have, you will, some people are shovels. Some people are steam shovels. Some people are D9 dozers. Whatever you have been given, you've been given it for your task. If you've been given much, it is to share much amen and hey look if you if you make 200 dollars you know a year and you want to buy uh you know a brand new expedition hey i got you if you want to go in, if you want to buy a sports car i got you i get it because it's a small amount of your money but you should be also giving the church should be giving and that is why we have abdicated it we've given this responsibility of welfare to the government and we're watching the government claim to do this job while stealing from the very people who it's supposed to serve. And I would advocate they're not doing it well. They're not doing it well. It's woefully inadequate, and it's going to break down. And we are going to see the collapse of the West as a whole because of it. So church, actionable steps. Check and see what your church is spending its money on. Are you spending 3% on local local outreach or are you actually spending 10 20 40 90 percent look at what your church is spending and you know I'm, I'm not for pastor salaries being low let me be clear that's a significant part of a lot of churches expenses but after you get into the high 600 or six figures you I, i've got some question marks for you okay uh, especially if you're only at 20% outreach. Just a few questions, only a couple. I have a few <laughs> questions for you. So just make sure that you're focusing on what you're spending your time, money, and effort into. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like this podcast, go ahead and uh, like, share, subscribe, all those good things. And uh, tell us, if you have an argument that we missed, tell us in the comment section down below what uh, your argument is. Tell us from which chair you're arguing. And as always, if you did not like this podcast, smash that dislike button twice, just to be sure. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week. We love you. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>